0: Welcome to the FUMS Now podcast show, where you'll gain information, inspiration, and motivation for living your best life with multiple sclerosis. Find us online at FUMSNow.com. I'm your host, Kathy Reagan Young. My guest today is world-renowned neuropsychiatrist who says, because MS is most often associated with physical disabilities, treatments tend to focus on managing physical symptoms, and slowing the disease's progression. But there's an approach rooted in mental health that can be extremely helpful and it's often overlooked. It's psychotherapy and he's here to talk about it today. But first, did you know that I sent out a newsletter weekly with the top six topics in MS for that week with links to articles and studies? Well, I do, and it's laced with that smartass F-U-M-S humor that you've come to know. Sign up today and let me do the heavy lifting of culling through the literature for, for you and handpicking the most pertinent, interesting topics in MS for that week. Go to F-U-M-S now slash get the scoop and sign up to receive this gift delivered right to your inbox every week. Dr. Anthony Feinstein received his medical degree in South Africa at the University of the Witwatersrand. Thereafter, he completed his training in psychiatry at the Royal Free Hospital in London, England, before training as a neuropsychiatrist at the Institute of Neurology, Queen Square in London. His Master of Philosophy and PhD degrees were obtained through the University of London. He's a professor of psychiatry at the University of Toronto, where he runs an MS neuropsychiatry clinic and research team. Dr. Feinstein has written over 250 peer-reviewed articles, numerous book chapters, and two books, one of which he's here to talk with us about today. That book is called Mind, Mood, and Memory, The Neurobehavioral Consequences of Multiple Sclerosis. That was all a mouthful. Welcome Dr. Feinstein. (laughs)
1: Good. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So glad you're here. Let me just start with this. I'm always intrigued. How did you get interested in specifically studying multiple sclerosis?
1: So when I was a student in England, I was at a hospital that got the one of the very first MRI machines. Hmm. And it was one of these game changers in medicine, particularly with a condition like multiple sclerosis, because as you know. While a CAT scan is useful, it's not nearly as sensitive as an MRI when it comes to looking at the brain of people with MS. So, you know, my arrival on the medical scene actually coincided with this hospital getting their first MRI. And they started to look at the brains of people with multiple sclerosis, and they could see for the very first time these large plaques that had been largely invisible on a CT scan. And this was one of these game changes in medicine, because when you had such a clear view of what was going on in the brain of people who were living, you could ask all sorts of interesting questions. And my mentor at the time asked the question, well, if we are seeing all these structural changes in the brain of people with MS, what's it doing to their behavior? How is it affecting their cognition? How does it affect their mood? Because up until then, and this is the early 1990s, late 1980s, early 1990s, there was a very, very small literature on the topic. We really didn't understand the behavioral aspects of MS. And so MRI was a game changer. And I was fortunate enough to start my PhD at exactly the time that MRI arrived.
0: Fantastic. It's such an interesting approach. We, as as I said in the intro, we mostly hear about the physical manifestations of MS and interventions for those. But you say that psychotherapy, especially cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, can improve several invisible but important consequences of MS, those being depression, denial, and the inability to cope. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Well, you're right. I think to preface my answer, rates of depression are very high in people with multiple sclerosis, And so over the course of a person's lifetime, the chance of developing a clinically significant depression can be as high as 50%. Wow. So one in two people will develop a clinically significant depression over the course of their life with MS. And so that raises a question, how best to treat the depression? Mm -hmm. And there have been a number of studies looking at this. And the American Academy of Neurology came up with a consensus paper a few years back. I was part of that where we looked at all the data and this suggested that cognitive behavior therapy was better than medication and there was more evidence supporting cognitive behavior therapy as a treatment of choice for clinically significant depression. Um, And that, I think those data still hold up. There's pretty compelling evidence that this is an effective treatment. And what, what CBT does, cognitive behavior therapy, what it does is it helps people change the way they think about themselves, the illness, and the way they cope with it. And we know that when you have a difficult disease like multiple sclerosis to cope with, there's some strategies that are good and other strategies that are not. And one of the good strategies is problem-focused coping, in which you're trying to find what the problem is and come up with a solution for it. And cognitive behavior therapy can be very helpful in moving, moving towards that kind of goal by focusing on some positive coping strategies that make the disease easier to live with.
0: So instead of self-medicating, shall we say, maybe with alcohol, you replace it with more healthy coping mechanisms. Is that what you're suggesting?
1: Well, you know, self-medication is a bad idea. I'm glad you raised that because, you know, taking a drink or taking, you know, cocaine or whatever to help you with your emotional pain is maladaptive. That's not going to help you. You want to come up with adaptive coping and things that will help you with adaptive coping is. How do I manage my thoughts? How do I control my negative thoughts? How do I develop a more positive way of looking at my life and working around my problems? And that's where cognitive behavior therapy can start proving beneficial. So that's useful.
0: And so is cognitive behavioral therapy, is it strictly a talk therapy then?
1: It's a talk therapy, typically running between 12 and 16 sessions, sometimes a bit less. What's interesting about cognitive behavior therapy is that there are now some computer programs that provide it. And so if you have difficulty accessing a CBT therapist, you can't find some in your area. There are computerized CBT programs that have been tried in people with multiple sclerosis and found to be effective. And there's some good published data to show that. So there are three or four programs on the market now in which the computer provides the therapy and walks you through the various steps that are part of CBT. And that could be helpful.
0: Fantastic. If I could, I'd love to get those from you and put that in the show notes. It did strike me too that CBT is most likely, by most, I would guess, health insurance is covered, right? If they do have a, a mental health component to their health insurance. I mean, there's caveats to everything, but in the U.S., everything is about our health insurance and what's going to be covered. But but I would suspect um, that something like that would certainly be covered if you do have health insurance that covers mental health.
1: I would imagine. There's
0: so, a yeah. lot of if this, then that here.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because people often ask me, well, what about antidepressant medication?
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, there are three or four clinical trials showing that the medication is modestly effective. Okay. But there are side effects with medication. They can make it difficult for people with MS. Things like dry mouth, constipation, sexual dysfunction, which are fairly common side effects with the class of medications known as the SSRI medications. And so sometimes that's a limiting factor for people with multiple sclerosis.
0: And a lot of those sort of side effects are often already symptoms of MS. So they're just going to compound that potentially.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So you're not necessarily advocating for pharmaceuticals in conjunction with psychotherapy. It sounds to me like you're saying, try the psychotherapy alone, and that may do the trick.
1: If you've got access to it, that's the recommendation of the American Academy of Neurology. Try that. If you don't have access to cognitive behavior therapy, then medication is a reasonable alternative, although the data are not as strong for medication as it is for CBT.
0: I'm so glad we're doing this because I have been in this MS advocacy space since 2011 and I haven't heard that. Isn't that interesting? I have not heard that. So I'm confident a lot of other people who aren't sort of in it every day have never heard it either. So brilliant.
1: I'll leave you with another thought, which is that when you ask people with MS, in my experience, what would you prefer as a therapy for your mood disorder? Would you like medication or would you like talk therapy? A very healthy majority want health therapy.
0: Yes. We take enough. We take enough medication and we're over it. We don't want to add any more if we don't have to for sure. Plus, I, you know, sorry, this is kind of out there, but it seems to me that, you know, I talk to people every day with MS and there is a common thread where we often feel isolated in various ways and alone in our diagnosis and in our lives. And so to have even one more person that understands that isn't questioning you that just wants to help you i think would be a lovely gift as well
1: that's a very important point i'm glad you raised that yes and you see that very typically in people with the more progressive forms of the disease the more advanced MS, because life becomes more complex then your world shrinks around you you can't get out and about that often right. you're living in a in a much smaller space and that can be very isolating. And so when you've got the opportunity to talk to someone,
0: yeah,
1: even if it's not cognitive behavior therapy, even if it's supported therapy, other forms of psychotherapy, just having that contact with someone on a weekly basis or a two-weekly basis can be very, very helpful to people.
0: So I think I know the answer to this, but my question that I wrote down here is, why did you write this book?
1: So I wrote the book because of wanting to spread the message that there is another side to multiple sclerosis that goes beyond walking, vision, bladder and bowel. I'm talking about all the silent symptoms of MS, the depression, the cognitive dysfunction, anxiety, what we call pseudobulbar affect, people who laugh and cry when they can't control their emotions. So there, there is a very extensive clinical area that, that's hidden, that, You know, if you look at a person, you don't see it. Yes. And so you think things are fine. But we know they're not fine because when you take a history or you do your cognitive assessment, you start finding these problems. And these can be very disabling. They will bring a person down just as hard as an inability to walk or reduce vision.
0: Yes. And I would say in so many ways, it's more debilitating because with those things that are obvious If you have people in your life that care about you, it's obvious to them and they will hopefully be supportive of you and be asking how you are. But with these invisible things, unless you feel comfortable with someone, you're probably not sharing that that's going on. And so you're probably not getting the kind of support to even just feel the love, (laughs) right?
1: That's exactly it. And so just to highlight... Um, These symptoms I wrote, mind, mood, and memory, the neurobehavioral consequences of MS. And it basically focuses on depression, cognitive dysfunction, anxiety, pseudobulbar affect. But most important, what can be done? What can you do to treat these conditions as well?
0: And all of these things, not just depression, can be treated with CBT. Is that correct?
1: Well, CBT is good for depression. When you've got cognitive dysfunction, then the therapies are different.
0: The doors to the Patients Getting Paid membership community are now wide open. This is a community of people with chronic illness learning to find and create flexible, remote work that accommodates their health. I call us chronic panors. There are trainings, coaching calls, networking opportunities, co-workings, and a ton of resources. Want to take better care of yourself and still generate an income? Join us at patientsgettingpaid.com. I'm having some of my therapy right now for my cog fog this morning, which is coffee. <laughs> but I know that there are, are others as well. So let's talk about that. Okay. I call that cog fog and it's mm-hmm. horrible and it is my most hated symptom and it's pervasive. I, I just have to say cog fog and every MSR knows exactly what I'm talking about. So how do you approach that in a neuropsych perspective?
1: So, so what, what you're talking about is cognitive difficulties, and that's very common as well in people with MS, depending on the kind of MS you have. For example, if you have the relapsing-remitting MS, the cognitive impairment rate's about 40%. But when you have the more progressive forms of MS, like secondary or primary progressive, then the impairment rates go up to 70 or 80%, even higher. So you see a lot of cognitive dysfunction in people with MS at the the core feature of cognitive difficulty is a slowed processing speed. So the thoughts slow down. You can't process information as quickly. Yes. And that means you can't multitask. You can't make sense of information coming in very quickly, which unfortunately is the way we live. We lead our lives because we lead fast life, And so when processing speed slows down, it can also have a knock-on effect. It can affect your working memory. It can affect your problem-solving abilities. And so this in itself can be very disabling for people with MS. And it's very common. It occurs quite early in the disease. And so even when you follow people through from the very first symptom onset, you can find evidence of cognitive difficulties in about 30% of people. So it's there. Yeah. And it's quite disabling. It affects people's ability to work, to sustain work, and also to manage your activities of daily living. So this looms very large In the lives of people with MS.
0: Yes, it really does. And so what's the neuropsych approach to that?
1: So then you've got to do neuropsychological testing. That's the only way to tease out truly what the deficits are. So you see a psychometrician working with a neuropsychologist, and we now know what are the most sensitive tests for people with MS. So because we know that processing speed slows down, we give people a test of processing speed, there's a particular test called the simple digit modalities test. It's a very simple test to do, only takes 90 seconds to complete, but it gives you a lot of information on processing speed. And that's become like the sentinel test mm-hmm. of cognition in people with MS. And in fact, MS research bodies now recommend that every person with multiple sclerosis should have a cognitive assessment as part of their workup. However, if you don't have access to a neuropsychologist, at the bare minimum, you should get the simple digit modalities test, the single test I spoke about. Because that gives you and your neurologist, your psychiatrist, very useful information about your cognitive abilities.
0: Excellent. And you monitor
1: that. You monitor that over time. You repeat that each year.
0: That was going to be my next question. So I was, this was years ago, but I was... Given, I was put through, I would say put through neuropsych testing and it was hours and it was exhausting and it was demoralizing. I really, I felt horrible physically and mentally when I walked out of there, but I was glad I did it because my neurologist and I had talked about it and said, let's get a baseline. This was early after my diagnosis and it made a ton of sense to me. However, I haven't had one since. So it seems to me, like my bone density testing, great that you had it done, but w- that informs nothing unless you have it repeated, correct?
1: So number one, we've moved away from the hours and hours of testing for that reason, because it can be exhausting. Oh, yeah. But um, so there are shorter batteries. Um, your neurologist was quite right to get a baseline. That's good. But now the current guidelines say that at a bare minimum, the simple digit modality test should be repeated. I mean, Canada, we do it every two or three years in the United States, the same more frequently, maybe once a year. So you know, getting a marker of your cognition on a yearly basis makes very good sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, except I, I appreciate that you um, delineated in Canada and the US, but I am in the US and I have never had that done. So interesting note to self, I'm gonna leave a little note in my patient portal. So that, I would assume, is probably the best way to monitor your cognitive changes over time. Are there accessible exercises or practices or habits to strengthen your cognition or short-term memory?
1: Right. So there's an emerging literature showing that cognitive rehabilitation could be helpful to people with cognitive problems. Okay. Now that can be quite time consuming and labor intensive because you have to go into the clinic and you have to get these interventions twice a week, usually over five or six weeks. But if you do have access to it, it can be potentially very helpful. However, the advice I give all my patients is this, you do not want to be passive with a disease like MS. You want to stimulate your brain because the brain responds very well to activity. And the three kinds of activities that are important. Number one, some physical activity. Mm. If you can do some exercise, aerobic exercise, that's good for your brain. If you're disabled and you can't, for example, walk, then you do upper arm exercise if you can, just to build up a light sweat. But physical activity is very good. Yes. Second form of activity is social activity. You want to socialize because socializing is good for you. Yes. Now, the pandemic has made that hard, but thankfully we're coming out of that. So you want to try and keep your social contact. the third form of activity is intellectual activity. Read, mm. podcasts, audiobooks, brain teasers, but stimulate your brain, get on a computer, learn how to use an iPad, but basically do things that wake up your brain because those three things boost what we call cognitive reserve. Mm. We want to maintain as much as we can our cognitive reserve. The last thing you want to do with a disease like MS is sit on your sofa, or your couch with a remote control and watch hours and hours of television. Very passive. It's not good for you. You want the brain to wake up.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you said all that. Yes, yes, and yes. And I I find what a difference it makes for me, honestly. And I am not, (laughs) people have been listening to FUMS for years and they send me little memes about hating exercise because I do. Everyone knows I hate exercise, but here's what I don't hate. I hate exercise for the point of exercising. I like functional exercise. I like to, when it's not too hot and I'm feeling good, mow the lawn or work in the garden, or I just walked on the treadmill this morning. That's my least favorite exercise, but but I move. I have a problem with the word exercise. <laughs> for me, it equates with lifting weights and big gym rats, just movement, just movement and, and, and re- I love to read and all those. I make, it makes such a difference to me. If I find particularly if I get up in the morning and do some stretching and some moving and some walking, if I feel up to it that day, I'm so much more mentally clear. It's a marked difference. So amen and amen.
1: Everybody, you know, the message is you want to boost your cognitive reserve. You want to maintain your abilities as much as you can. And the way you do that is to keep your brain active because the brain responds to activity.
0: Yes. And I heard the other day, I love this, sitting is the new smoking. So as our society put down the cigarettes, we put down our butts on the sofa too. And we have to get up and quit doing that because that's taken over. So I posted that you were coming on the show on the FUMS uh, social channels, and people sent in some questions. Do you mind answering a couple? Of course, yes. Excellent. Well, one of them you've already answered, which was how to best monitor cognition changes over time. She then asked, are there accessible exercises or practice? Oh, you already said that one, too. We're hitting them all. This one I know you did not answer, though. I find this one really interesting. What are the latest findings of psilocybin efficacy in treating both neuromuscular and psychological symptoms of MS? I d- I don't know if you're prepared to answer that, but that's super yeah, interesting.
1: I can. I mean, that, that's a really emerging area of mental health, which is using you know psychedelics to try and treat mental illness. Um, to date, there's no MS literature, but within general psychiatry, there's a the literature to show that some of these drugs which were frowned upon in the past might have some therapeutic benefits when used in a controlled way. They may be able to take the sting and the pain out of conditions such as depression or post-traumatic stress disorder or some of the very crippling kinds of anxiety disorders. It's a very new area. Yes. Hasn't yet been used in clinical trials in people with multiple sclerosis, but I can, envisage down the road, This might potentially be part of a clinical trial to see whether you can indeed help people with intractable depression who haven't responded to other kinds of therapies.
0: Yes. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by this topic. In fact, I did a podcast episode with a uh, researcher, gosh, it's been a while ago now, so I will link that in the show notes because that speaks directly to this. And also, I've recently found a show on Netflix that talks about this, not in terms of MS, but just in terms of using various uh, psychedelics for things like um, OCD and depression and anxiety. It's, it's really intriguing. And that is called How to Change Your Mind. So it's really interesting stuff. And I am actually looking for any studies that, uh, because I would love to, um, get involved in that. It's very, you know, they were doing, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. They were doing all of this wonderful research in the fifties and sixties. And then in the seventies, they just shut it down and now, um, they're back at it. Thank goodness. And it just seems to be, um, very promising. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I agree. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Dr. Feinstein, thank you so much for being here today and sharing all of this really, really interesting uh, information. If people are interested in purchasing your book, where do they find it?
1: Well, I guess the easiest place would be Amazon.
0: Okay, super. I'll put a link in the show notes then. Perfect. Great, thank you for that. I will do that. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it, especially he is on vacation right now, but he took, took this time out to chat with us. So thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate that. Thanks for this research for on my community's behalf. And um, enjoy your time off.
1: Right. Thank you for your interest and thank you for the invitation. I enjoy talking to you.
0: Quick shout out to Steve Woodward at podcastingeditor.com for the fantastic work on this podcast, including editing, show notes, and ingenious ideas. If you'd like help with your podcast, whether you're just starting out or an old pro, visit podcastingeditor.com and tell Steve I sent you. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate you listening to the FUMS podcast show. Be sure to subscribe to it so you won't miss an episode. You can do that right on the website at FUMSnow.com. While you're there, sign up for the free email list so you'll be among the first to know of any new findings in MS research, new therapies and products, as well as any blog posts and podcast episodes I release. Want to chat with others in the FUMS community? Join us on Facebook at FUMSnow. Thanks again, and don't forget to talk to the stupid disease as it deserves. Tell it FUMS every day.